fulfillment. It's, it's literal fulfillment in, in as much as the Lord did what, well, in the vision, he literally sees the, the, the bones reanimate. And we know that that's maybe in a sense metaphorically more speaking of the way that he would breathe life into the nation of Israel as he restores them. But then it continues to speak to us today for what God wants to do in our lives as well. Did you catch in the songs we sang this morning the language about the dry bones? Two of the songs that we sang. Of course, we sing the song Graves into Gardens often, and that that song uses a lot of Old Testament imagery, but some of it lifted directly out of Ezekiel 37. You turn graves into gardens, you turn, turn bones into armies. Uh, that's, that's this language here from Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones, that these bones become a living, breathing, mighty army in this prophecy. Also in the song, The Great I Am, we sang about, uh, see dry bones live again. That's what we want to understand this morning is what does it mean for these dry bones to live, both in the sense of what is God saying to Ezekiel, that's important, but then also how does that speak to us and how does that lead us to live in faith and obedience to what God wants to do in our lives. So in Ezekiel chapter 37 this morning, have you ever maybe had a vision for something like you, there was something, maybe it was something that was on your heart that you, that you had a a vision, an idea of how this thing could come to life. And, and so then you worked to try to bring that vision to life. There are, I, I suppose, lots of examples of, of how this happens or any number of things that we can point to of ways that we try to have a vision for something in my particular role of leadership in the church, right? That one of the things that as pastor that I'm often trying to do is, is lead with vision. And so that involves trying to understand not just where we are, but where God is leading us. A couple of weeks ago, we had what we called a vision night. And a part of that vision night was talking about future things for the church and where we are and where God might be leading us and things that he wants us to do. And there's lots of ways that we try to have vision, vision of things to come, right? An idea, a a glimpse into the future. And so I think all of us can understand what it means to have a, a vision, an idea, a spark. But in this particular instance in Ezekiel 37, God is giving Ezekiel a vision that points to something future that God wants Ezekiel to anchor his hope in. So the vision here of this, this valley of dry bones coming to life is all pointing to this hope that Ezekiel might have for what God wants to do in the future. And we'll see that that becomes abundantly clear in the latter verses that we'll look at here. This, that, that the Lord just basically says, so that you would have hope, so that you will know that these things are coming to pass. But in order for Ezekiel to realize that hope, he has to step out and act on faith. And so the key this morning that I want us to see, even as it applies to us, is that in order to experience God's movement in our hearts and our lives, we need to live by faith. We need to act on faith. In this passage, God's work is spiritual, right? That that the Holy Spirit leads Ezekiel to see this vision. So there's a spiritual element of what God is doing in Ezekiel's life. There's a spiritual element of the way that God wants to work in our hearts and our lives as well. That we understand that 
that as we, as we dig into this text and we apply this text to our lives, it's going to point us to spiritual things. It's going to point us to spiritual application, understanding not just in a literal sense, though there might be some, some points of application, but in a very, in a very real and a very spiritual sense, understanding how God is leading us. The, the, the work here that God does is supernatural. It's not just spiritual, it's supernatural, right? Bringing a, a, a valley full of bones to life in this vision. That's a supernatural work. That doesn't just happen. That's not the kind of thing that, that, that happens all by itself. It would take the very power of God breathing breath, breathing life into bones for them to come. It's a spiritual, supernatural work, a spiritual, supernatural thing. And in the same sense, what we seek is a supernatural movement of God. We want to live in such a way that God would do a work in our hearts and our lives that we could say beyond any question, beyond any doubt, is way beyond our ability that it's a supernatural thing that God is doing in our lives, a supernatural thing that we seek. What may seem impossible to us is possible with God. And so as we, as we think on this way of what is it in my life spiritually, what, what am I seeking? Where am I, where am I asking God to do something supernatural that I could never do on my own, something that goes far beyond my ability to even think, to even ask or imagine, how am I, how am I looking to God in faith? That's what I want us to, to take into the text this morning, if I can. That's where I want our hearts to be, is ready to hear from the Lord, ready to receive from God as he speaks to us and does a spiritual, a supernatural work in our hearts and our lives that we might experience his power at work as we live by faith. And so let's read together Ezekiel 37. We're going to read the first 14 verses and then come back and we want to make this, uh, this, this connection of how God's provision leads us to live by faith. The hand of the Lord was upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. If you've been reading through the book of Ezekiel, you know that up to this point, particularly in the last several chapters, God has been speaking a word of prophecy to the nations, the people surrounding through Ezekiel. And so in the, in the chapters before this, it'll say, prophesy, son of man, prophesy to the people of Moab, prophesy, and, and, and there are all these different peoples and these different nations, and it's, it's a word of rebuke. There's also prophecy to the, the nation of Israel as well in the midst of all of this. But now the Spirit of the Lord leads Ezekiel into this valley in the spirit, we, we right? And it's full of bones, verse two. And he led me around among them. Behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold, they were very dry. Now those details, all of that is just meant for us to understand that this is apparently the scene of a battle that has taken place. That the fact that these bones are, as it says here, that there are many on the surface of the valley. In other words, these are soldiers who have fallen in battle and no one came behind to bury them so that the bodies decomposed there on the battlefield. And, and it must have happened at some point in a distant past because the bones are very dry as well. So all of this is pointing to the, the place of a, a, a battle or even as we might understand it in a more metaphorical sense, as we think about this, again, the spiritual sense, this is the site of 
Ezekiel's past failures, or we might say Israel's past failures. So out of the place of their failure, out of the place where, where they experienced this great sadness, this great defeat, uh, the place where they took an L, if you will, right? The, out of this place, God is going to speak to them and, and bring life and, and, and do something new in their midst. So understand it in that way. As you think about this text and, and are thinking about how this text applies to your life, think about the places where you have experienced the greatest sadness, the greatest sorrow, the deepest hurts, the most pain, the places where you feel like you have experienced not the, not the victories, but the setbacks, not the, not the high points, but the valleys. What are the valleys of your life, the low moments, the low places, the hard times that you've lived in, that you've walked through? And the point that you need to understand is even from that, God is able to do something new, to bring life, to bring hope from the darkness, to take the pain of your past and to turn it into something glorious and new, something alive, something vibrant. That's the power that God is going to reveal to Ezekiel. That's the same power that can be at work in our lives as well. So in verse 3, and he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh came upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. And so God makes it abundantly clear to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, this vision that I'm giving you, this vision of the valley, this is, there's a purpose in all of this. It's so that you would know that there is hope, that I'm not finished with you. Now, again, in order to fully understand that, you've got to understand some of the context of what's happening with Ezekiel here. And so Ezekiel is living as a, a, a captive, as a refugee in a far off land, in the land of 
Chaldea or the land of Babylon. And so he's been captured and carried away by the Babylonian army from his homeland of, of, of Israel, from the city of Jerusalem. And it's while he's in this distant land, as he's living as a, uh, effectively a prisoner of war or a, a political refugee, as he's living in this distant land, God appears to him and he, and he begins to speak to him and call him to prophesy and to act in ways that if we were to have seen someone do this, we would think to ourselves, this guy is mad. He has lost his mind. And, and so as you read through the book of Ezekiel, some of the things that God speaks to him, for one, Ezekiel is to lie on his side for a year. So he lies on his side for a year and he's to eat food. I'm not even making this up. If you, if you read in Ezekiel, or if you go back and you read, if you haven't gotten there yet, you'll, he's to eat food cooked over a fire of dung, of, of, of fecal matter, right? Which is gross. And, and at first, apparently it was supposed to be human waste because Ezekiel prays and he asks God, can it be animal waste, not, not human waste? And God answers the prayer and, and allows that to happen. That's a strange and odd detail, but for a year he eats food. Then he's to do things like to take his hair and he's to cut off part of his hair and part of it he's to attach to the tassels on his robes and part of it he's to scatter in the wind and part of the hair he's to take a sword and chop up the hair with the sword. And these are all, these are all supposed to be... Uh, demonstrations of what God is going to do, how he's going to take the nation and scatter them, how he's going to uproot them, cut them off. And, and I mean, just these really strange things. It, and it, it, it goes on from there. You can, you can read. But the context essentially is that God is speaking through Ezekiel and he's having Ezekiel prophesy. And every one of these prophecies is meant to show the nation that they are in the situation that they are in because of their wickedness, because of their rebellion, because of their sins against God, they are experiencing the consequences of their sin. They are living in this moment in, in, in the consequence of brokenness caused by their rebellion. And yet even in this, God speaks and he, and he reminds Israel that he's not finished with them. That he's not done with them. That there is coming a day when he will restore a remnant. There is coming a day when he will make good on his promises. He will, he will preserve a, a, a portion of the nation in order that he might fulfill the covenant that he established with David. And he will raise up a king who will rule and reign forever on the throne of David. A new David to reign and rule over his people Israel. And this vision even is tied to that. Out of the brokenness of their great loss, out of the brokenness of their, of their slaughter, literal slaughter here, at the hands of an, of an enemy, of the hands of a foreign army, God will raise up a future generation. He will preserve his word. What a, what a really hopeful and, and beautiful picture. Now, admittedly, it's a strange picture, right? I mean, we read that and, 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 and admittedly we think, well, that's really odd. That's really weird. And yet out of this, God is saying, Ezekiel, I'm not done with you. And I want you to tell the people of Israel, I want you to remind your brothers and sisters that I am 
the faithful one who will be faithful to the covenant promise that I've made. But in order to see that, of course, they've got to, they've got to accept these things on faith. They've got to live by faith. So faith becomes the key element. If I were going to define faith for us, this is maybe not the most robust, the most complete theological definition, but I think a good working definition that I often use from when, when we're talking about faith is it's trust that's put into action. When we live by faith, it's we're trusting in something and then we're acting in a way on that trust. Another good way to say that might be just to say when we are obedient. When we are obedient, we demonstrate faith. And so in order for Ezekiel to see this vision come to life, he has to live by faith. He has to trust in God. He has to believe and do what the Lord is, is calling him to do. And the key question for us to think about is, do we have faith to see what the Lord wants to do? Now, the, the question isn't put to Ezekiel in that sense here, but as we're reading through the text, the reader is meant to ask the question, will this really happen? Can this really be that the same God who has now for chapter and in pages of scripture has promised judgment. Will this same God, could this same God deliver and be faithful to his people? The answer, of course, is yes, he will. If they will turn their hearts to him, they will experience his, his movement. They will experience revival in their day. And in our hearts too, if we will turn to the Lord, we will experience revival. There are three ways that I want us to see this in the, the text this morning. The first one is this that the Lord provides vision to see what cannot be seen. The Lord provides vision to see what cannot be seen. Or I might, I might even say it this way, faith sees. When we, when we think about living by faith, walking by faith, faith sees. Faith sees what isn't seen. Even in this text, we see that the hand of the Lord was upon me in verse 1. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. So everything else that we read here, we understand from verse 1, is ha happening as the hand of the Lord is on Ezekiel's life. God is working. God is moving in his life. And when the hand of God is on us, he gives us vision to see what we can't see on our own. When the hand of the Lord is on us, we, we have eyes to see spiritual realities. We have eyes to see the unseen. That's what it means in this sense to live with vision, is to see what isn't actual, to see what could be, to see and hope and trust in things that are not yet real. Or as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, Paul just says simply, for we walk by faith and not by sight. See, when we live by sight, we're limited by, we're limited by our, our, our physical vision, as it were. When we live by sight, or, or maybe even in a, more, in a more metaphorical sense, when we live by sight, we're limited by our own eyes what we can see, what we can envision. And I'm not even necessarily talking about a literal vision, but I, I mean, in, again, in, the, in, the more, in, in a more metaphorical sense, that you can only do what 
you dare to do in your own power, in your own strength, in your own ability, when you live by sight, but when you live with vision, God's vision, when the hand of the Lord is on you now, there's a power at work in you that can accomplish far more than what you could ever do on your own. In Galatians, Paul writes about God who is able to do immeasurably more, this is Galatians 2, immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. God has the power to do even beyond what you would know to ask, even beyond what you might think to ask God to do. And so the question is, how does sight limit your faith? How does, how, how does your trust in your own ability, how does your trust in, in your own giftedness And what you perceive to be your strengths and your goodness, how does that limit what God is doing in your life? Are you willing to, again, to borrow another kind of uh, point of Scripture? Are you willing to step out of the boat like Peter did when Peter walked on water? Are you willing to to step out and, and do what seems impossible as you walk by faith and not by sight? Clearly here, God works in a, in a powerful way in Ezekiel's heart because he was willing to be led by the hand of God. He was willing to look with vision and not be limited by his sight. What would it mean for you to live with this kind of vision? Now, I, I don't, let, let's be clear. I don't mean a name it, claim it type of theology, okay? Because that, that's a common thing today. We Sometimes we'll refer to that as prosperity gospel, or we'll just even use that phrase that I've already said, name it, claim it, right? The idea that I'm going to speak a word over this, or I'm going to claim this to be. I'm not talking about, again, because that's really limited by what you want and what you desire. I'm not talking about you trying to speak something into existence or name it. I'm, I'm saying as you are led by the Spirit of God, as you are led by the hand of God, how might God want to move in ways that go beyond what you would even know to ask for? Are you living with that kind of faith? May we be a people who, who are not limited by our own strength, but who seek the mighty hand of God. And this is where prayer comes into play. This is where prayer becomes so powerful and important because the way that we live this out is as we commune with God. How do we commune with God? Through prayer. As we, as we talk to God, as we listen to God in prayer, as we, as we experience his hand on us, he will lead us to see what cannot be seen as we see with spiritual eyes. One of the prayers that I pray for my own life often is I will just pray, God, give me spiritual eyes to see what I cannot see. That's a simple prayer that I pray regularly. Give me spiritual eyes to see what I can't see, God, because I don't want to be limited by my own imagination. I don't want to be limited by my own strengths and abilities. Instead, I want to be led by the hand of God. I want to see what I would never see in my own strength, in my own power. I want to see what God would do, how God would lead, what God wants to do in my life, in the life of our church, in my family, in all the ways that God has positioned me to provide leadership. 
Give me spiritual eyes to see what I cannot see. The second way that we see God at work here is that God provides his spirit to breathe life into what is dead. Now, to be clear, everything that's happening here is not about how great Ezekiel's faith is. Although, as we read this, I think the the point is for us to understand that Ezekiel is living by faith. We want to live by faith, to live in God's promise, to trust as, as he gives us vision. But all of this is not meant to elevate Ezekiel so that we say, oh, what a mighty man of God Ezekiel is. And if we would do the same, we might be women and men of great faith. The point is to see the power of God at work so that we see the spirit of God. So in the same way that we've already said that faith sees what is unseen, faith also leads us to obey, to take action. When we live by faith, we will act because we're trusting in the power and the ability of God, not in our own power, not in our own strength, but the power of God. And it's his spirit at work in us that will accomplish this. Notice, okay, so three different times in this passage, in verse four, we read this, prophesy, right? The command, the instruction. He said to me, prophesy. And then you could jump down to verse seven, and you see that, so I prophesied as I was commanded. Look again in verse 9. He said to me, prophesy. And then in verse 10, so I prophesied as he commanded me. Jump ahead again, and you'll see the same instruction in verse 12. Therefore, prophesy. What does this mean, prophesy? Well, we, we hear the word prophesy, and we connect that with the word prophet. What is a, what is a prophet? Right? What is a prophet? In the Old Testament, a prophet is someone who speaks for God. And so the, the Old Testament prophets, Ezekiel happens to be one of them, what we would refer to as one of the major prophets, and not just simply major, just simply because of the length of the book of Ezekiel, the length of what's written, right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, those are the major prophets. We have the minor prophets. You can just work your way through the list of Bible books, right? And, and, and you can name off what we would refer to as minor prophets. But those aren't the only prophets. There are other great prophets in the Old Testament. Think of, uh, think of, of people who, who prophesied, who spoke. Think of someone like Elijah and Elijah. Think of uh, Samuel and the way that God spoke through Samuel and even Nathan and, and how they were prophets. And they were priests, yes, but they were prophets. A prophet is someone who speaks for God. A prophet is someone who has the connection with God so that God gives them a word, and they would proclaim that word to others. So to prophesy is just to speak the word of the Lord. To prophesy is just to say what God wants to be said. And as Ezekiel says what God wants to say, as Ezekiel speaks, or even as we see in verse 7, again in verse 10, as he does what was commanded, and that's the, that's the key. As Ezekiel is obedient, then the Spirit of God works. Especially in, we see this in verse 10. Go back to verse 10. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood. So he did what God said, and it happened. That's the point. 
as Ezekiel was obedient to do what God was leading him to do, that was the moment where faith became sight. That was the moment where what God had shown him became real in that sense. And, and so there was a, a, a present tense sort of realization of that, but then also a hope in the future as well. I will open your graves, verse 11, and you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and raise you from your graves, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. So the whole point is that the key to experiencing God's powerful work, the key to seeing the vision become reality is obedience. In our lives as well, we need to understand that obedience is, is, is like the, the key that, that turns the lock. You want to see God work in your life in a, in a way that's beyond what you could do? You want to see God take the vision that he's placed in your heart and bring it to life? The key is obedience. That We have to trust him. Now, not in your ability, but in your obedience. God will work far beyond your ability when you will act in obedience. So the Lord, in this sense, speaks through his spirit. He breathes life into what is dead. And God can still breathe life. How is God going to take the the valley of dry bones in your life, the, the, the pain of your past, and how is he going to bring that to life? Well, as you look to him, as you are led by him, as you walk by faith, as you live in obedience, then in his own time, in his own way, and through his strength, God will breathe life into the, the bones, if you will, of your, of your past. The side of the, the, the great loss, the side of, of defeat, becomes the very seed, the very foundation of future victory. The same is true for us when we look to God in hope, which really brings us then to the final point. The Lord provides hope to sustain us in the valley. The hope here that God is giving to Ezekiel is meant to is meant to encourage him for the future. Because in the moment that God is speaking this, Ezekiel is in a, a, a desperate place. He's in a, a very dry place. Not only is he lost in uh, as, as a political refugee, his, his wife passed. If you read backward, it, he lost his, his wife. He, it, all of these, the, just the darkness and the pain of all the things that he's, and in the midst of all of this, God is speaking a word to him and he's saying, Ezekiel, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work in your life. I'm not done with you. There's hope for the future. There's hope for restoration. There's hope for revival. There's hope that life will come from what is dead, that life will come to these bones. God gives us hope to sustain us in the valley. You've, if you've been around here for a minute, you've heard me quote Billy Graham on the valley because it's one of my very favorite quotes of, of, of all things that Billy Graham was known to have said that mountaintops are for views and inspiration, but fruit grows in the valley. 
when we are in the valley, sometimes it feels like that place of desperation, that place of longing, that place where there's just nothing but brokenness and pain, and yet it's in the valley that God brings fruit. It's in the valley, from the valleys, that God brings life. It's in the places of our our losses and our pains that God will work when we will look to him. Because what happens on the mountaintop is the air is thin, right? We get to the mountain, we experience the heights, we, we, we experience God doing something, but the tendency is for us to attribute that to ourselves. The tendency is when we experience the victories of life, we start to, we start to look to ourselves and our own strength and, and we forget about God. It's in the valley that we are reminded of our desperate need for God to work. Fruit grows in the valley. Hope springs from the valleys of life so that we can, we can experience life from what was dead. We can experience hope from what seems hopeless. We can experience fruit in the places where there is none, when we trust in the Lord. Now again, we've said faith sees, faith obeys, and, and finally I would say here, faith restores. When we live by faith, what is broken can be restored. What is, what is dead can be brought to life. Revival comes as we live by faith. Revival comes. Life comes. God wants to restore in this situation with Ezekiel. He wants to restore the nation to their promise. He wants to restore his people to the covenant promise that he's made with them. In your life, I would say God wants to bring life into your situation. God wants to bring hope into the darkness. He wants, to, he wants to breathe life into your own valley of dry bones. In recovery ministry, uh, which we, for many years here, we, we had a Celebrate Recovery uh, ministry that uh, Dan and Cindy so faithfully led, and, and, and God did some really great things in our church through that ministry, and we still have a a strong connection to uh, seeing the, the the pains of people's past turned into the very the very uh, platform that God gives them to minister and, and lead others. And there's a there's a phrase that that often gets used in recovery ministry that God never wastes a hurt. God never wastes a hurt. It doesn't mean that we need to look at everything that's happened in our past and say, "Well, God did that." Right? We talked about that some last week. But God is able if we will live in faith, if we, will, if we will be led with vision, if we will walk in obedience, God is able to take the pains of the past and to use that in a way, to breathe life into that, to, to bring flesh back to those bones so that the, the very sight of our great loss, the very, the very place of our deepest hurts and our greatest failures becomes the very means through which God uses us to minister to others. How might God want to use the brokenness of your past, the pains that you've lived through, to bring life, to bring hope, to restore, to renew, to revive? Will you be willing to walk in faith? The ultimate fulfillment of all of this we see is, is found in Jesus. If you keep reading in Ezekiel 37, 
you see that God establishes, he will establish, and, and ultimately he does establish, a new David. And he raises up this, this valley of dry bones that become an army is symbolic of a nation that is restored, a covenant promise that is kept as God does what he promises that he will do, as he delivers his people, as he restores them, as he brings them back to life. In fact, if you were to jump forward to verse 24 in Ezekiel 37, he says, my servant David shall be king over them. That's not That's not the David that died. That's the David that is to come. Who is the David that is to come? The one who will rule over the throne of David forever? That's Jesus. And so all of this, the hope, the vision, everything is is pointing Ezekiel to faith in Jesus. And today, I think the point of all of this too is that we would center our lives on Jesus. Not Not just on you, not on your strength, but on walking by faith, centering your heart and your life on Jesus. And allowing God to bring life to what is dead. How does God bring life to what is dead? Through the power of his spirit. He he puts his spirit in us. And we receive the spirit. We understand the moment that we trust in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that when we trust in Jesus by faith, that we receive the Holy Spirit as a, a guarantee that, that word guarantee in the Greek language in Ephesians 1 could be translated a little more loosely, but it could be translated in English as the down payment, as the deposit. God gives us the Holy Spirit as a down payment, a guarantee, a deposit, if you will, of, of his work. So we have the Spirit in us, and now the Spirit enables us. The Spirit breathes life into our lives, and he enables us. As we place our faith and trust in Jesus The Spirit of God comes into us, rushes upon us, brings life to what is dead. Have you trusted in Jesus? Have you experienced his Spirit bringing life to your bones? Are you willing to live by faith, to walk by faith, to walk in obedience, to let God do what you could never do in your own strength so that there might be life and hope This morning, that's the point that I want us to see. Faith allows us to experience God's power at work in a way that we would never experience on our own. In a moment, we're going to move into a time of response, a time of invitation. And today, as we sing this song, and, and we sing Jesus, thank you. That's the name of the song we're going to sing, Jesus, thank you. Even as we sing that, today, if you're ready to trust Jesus by faith, if there's never been a moment when you've surrendered your life to him, then I would encourage you that you would make this the day, this the moment, that you would trust Jesus by faith. If there's never been a moment that you have allowed him to breathe his spirit, as it were, into you, by trusting him, you would let this be the moment that God would, that he would save you from your sin. And if God has saved you from your sin, Would you let him bring the the dryness of the the bones to life? Would you let him work through the pains of your past to give hope, to bring life where there is none? How does God want to move in your life today? My prayer is that even as we sing, we we would say, Lord Jesus, yes, I want to be obedient in all the ways that you're calling me 
to walk by faith. God, I want to be obedient to you. Will you trust him? Will you walk in obedience today? You would invite you to bow your head with me. And and as we enter into this time of prayer, we're just going to pray, Lord, speak to us, move in us, move through us today. And then as we stand and sing after that, if God is speaking to you, would you come while we sing? Lord, this morning, move in our midst, we pray. Holy Spirit, bring life to what is for us a, a, a valley of dry bones. Give your life to us Speak to us, move in us, revive and restore us as we live by faith in you. Lord, take the, the valley of, of bones, take the, the brokenness of our past, and from that, bring life and hope and peace and promise as we trust in you, Jesus. Move in us, we pray.